This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. The scripture today is, uh, let me get it, Isaiah 26 and 27. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord." We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. In chapter 27, in that day, the Lord will, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan and Leviathan, the, the, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that, would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. 
In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no asherim or incense altars will remain standing. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes. There it lies down and strips its branches. When its bows are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them, for this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain of, at Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Ben only gave the scripture reader one chapter last week. I had no mercy this week. He got both of them. So thank you for that. Hopefully we'll make sense of those uh, couple of chapters, but uh, first let's just uh, begin with, with, uh, with prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your judgments, your, your considered decisions about who we are, about the world, about, about yourself. Um, Lord, I pray that um, as we wrap up this series, we would... We would end on, on a high note considering you. We would end thinking of the joy that you bring us, Lord, um, for your forever judgments, the things that you have stated that are true in all times and all places that we can trust in, that we can rely on, that we can put our anchor ourselves in to give us peace. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us that peace through your spirit this morning and uh, we, would be, we would come to know you more. We'd come to experience your presence in a way that was was genuine and comforting and, um, and ultimately changes who we are uh, as we draw close to you. So pray that your spirit would do that this morning. In uh, your name I pray, amen. So I want to start, uh, uh, we're going to, we already have enough with two chapters, but I wanted to start in Acts chapter 16 uh, because I thought there was a, a really good story that will help us sort of make some sense of what we're talking about in these two chapters. Uh, and I'm also going to ask for some audience participation, which um, I, don't, I don't do that very much um, or ever. So I may not do it again after this. I don't know. Um, but we're, I, I want to read a story in Acts chapter 16 and, and take note of some of the supernatural things that are going on. And it's in Acts chapter 16, verse 19. There's basically a slave girl that uh, is possessed by a demon, and the owners are just sort of using her for entertainment and money. So it's not a very good situation. Um, and she is heckling, uh, to say the least, uh, Paul and Silas and kind of being sort of a thorn in their side. 
And so right before we get to this part, Paul commands, like he's like annoyed. He's been, it says that he's annoyed. Uh, having become greatly annoyed, he turned aside to the spirit and says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And, and he comes out of her. And so this is where we pick up then right after that in verse 19, it says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they can't make any more money, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them, off of Paul and Silas, and gave orders to beat them with rods. Like, sounds like a rough, rough situation right there. Uh, and then when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. So he puts them in like basically the worst possible prison after they get beaten and stripped. Uh, and then something miraculous happens. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So that just falls off of them. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Uh, it's not good to go back to your superiors and say, well, I had one job to keep the prisoners in here, and uh, I failed at that job. Uh, there's another story in Acts where that happens and Herod just kills all the guardsmen because they got out and he just kills them all. So this guy's about to kill himself. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we are here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour that night and washed their wounds since they were beat and he was baptized at once he and all his family then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God so here's where I want uh, some audience participation in this story what, what what is the what's the miraculous thing that happens in this story yeah I mean the shackles fell off. No prisoners escaped. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not typical. Anything else? The, the, yeah, casting out a demon. That's not, we don't do that every day. The jailer was saved. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of a handful of, handful of things. This is, it's, this, is, this is what struck me, and I'm going to connect it to what we're going to talk about this morning. Verse 25, this blows my mind. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They're singing. They have joy. It's like a side note. It's not even like focused on in the story. They're like, oh, you know, after they got beat and stripped and thrown in prison while they were singing. Like, how do you have joy in that kind of a situation? I, like, I'm uncomfortable singing with my wife in the room sometimes because I have a terrible voice. That's why I like doing it all together with everybody. We like to sing in the shower because we're comfortable and like expressing ourselves and no one is hearing. They just got beat and stripped naked, put in prison, and they're singing with joy. I think that's unreal. 
Like that is in a, in a real sense, that's miraculous. And I think this, this, this are in Isaiah, we actually start with a song. In that day, people will sing a song. We're gonna start with a song. And I think what's, I, I would love to talk to Paul and Silas and say, was that what you were singing? Is, is what you knew in Isaiah, what you guys were singing to each other in that night? And Ben talked about this last week, and I thought a good summary of Ben's sermon uh, was C.S. Lewis' quote. C.S. Lewis said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. It's like a summary of Ben's sermon last week. Don't let your happiness depend on something that you can lose. And, and Ben was saying that we, we have these all, God has made a judgment. God's made this considered decision on, on all these things in the world. And if our joy is rooted in something that fades, like, you know, being clothed and not beaten, or my physical health, then my joy is gonna be affected by that. If my joy is rooted in something that fades, then my joy is gonna be affected by that. And so Ben told us that our joy should not be rooted in these fading things, but it should be rooted in something that's eternal. And I thought that the Paul and Silas story was just a, a miraculous example of the fact that their joy was rooted in something eternal. They could sing in the middle of the, the inside prison chained up after being beat and stripped naked. And I just like, I don't even, that doesn't even register in my mind as an experience, much less possible to, to have joy and to sort of and to sing in that situation. So this morning, I'm, I'm hoping to sort of share some of those eternal things that we can root our joy in, that can, that can put us in a place by God's Holy Spirit in a miraculous way to have joy and to sing when, when, when everything is falling apart around us. And, and in some sense, we're in a broken world. Uh, everything will eventually fall apart around us. Um, at some point, maybe that's later in our life, uh, maybe things are falling apart around us, but, but ultimately our joy can be rooted in, in eternal things. So this morning we're gonna talk about joy that comes from forever judgments. Joy that comes from forever judgments. And, and forever judgments, the three forever judgments we're gonna look at is that rescue has happened. Uh, and maybe it would help just to say, uh, the definition of judgment, we've gone back to this a couple of times in this series, but judgment is the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. So God has made some considered decisions or sensible conclusions. The creator of the world has made sensible conclusions about reality, sensible conclusions that aren't going anywhere because he's God and he's made those statements and those statements are for forever. So he's given us now some eternal judgments, some eternal considered decisions, some statements that you and I can root ourselves in, that you and I can, can, can saturate and, and believe and plead with the Lord and, and accept them because it's what God has said. And it's these forever judgments that are going to give us joy. These, these forever judgments that will give us joy that Paul and Silas had when they were beaten and thrown into prison. And we're gonna look at our rescue has happened. Our suffering has purpose. This is a true statement from God. Our suffering has purpose and full salvation will come. Those three things are definite, eternal, and sure. And those are things, things that God has stated that can give us joy. So let's look, let's, look at the, let's look at the first one. 
that our rescue has happened. And if you've been uh, with us in the morning, uh, most of everybody in here volunteers in some capacity or has, or has been to uh, prayer time in the morning. We've been, we've been sort of praying through this section over the last few months in chapter 26. So these first six verses we've, we've talked about this morning and prayed about this morning. But, but a, lot, a lot of the emphasis in, these, in this song it says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. A lot of emphasis in this song is that rescue has already happened. That, there, that security is already there. That, that you and I, united to Christ, are, have, have past tense ascended to the heavenly throne and are now seated in the heavenly Jerusalem and now have, are, are safe insecure in our union with Jesus. And we've talked about that a little bit, even as we pray in the morning before the service. But let's read the, let's read this song real quick. He says, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up a salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates as the righteous nation may, that keeps faith may enter in. And I love this section. This has been a verse that's sort of like ringing in my head over the last couple of, of months. It says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the heights, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it to the ground, cast it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. And I love this song. Um, I asked Andrew if he would sing it in Hebrew, um, and he said no. Uh, but there, but there, there's in, in the original language. There's some there's some rhythmic nature to that that we don't really pick up on when we read it in English. But it's a song that's talking about what Jesus has already accomplished. It's a song that's that's talking about the fact that that the the new creation has begun in the resurrection of Jesus. It, on that day is like code word for everything that began to happen with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The, he, he is the first fruits of the new creation, as, as our Bible says. Uh, Paul says, past tense, you and I are already, rescue has happened, past tense, you and I are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The, the book of Hebrews says, past tense, you have already come, not to a, a mountain that Israel came to, you've come to the, the new city, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is where you live today as a believer. Your rescue has already happened. And he's trying to, he's trying to remind us of that in this song. And we're gonna kind of, we've got a, a lot to cover here. So we're gonna kind of uh, uh, fl- flow through this. And, and so he, he gives us that song in the first six verses. And then look at verses uh, seven. We'll read a couple more. It says, the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. And he's telling you, he's saying, for those, for those who are righteous, uh, for those who are united to Christ, I'm actually simplifying this for you. Life is complicated. There's lots, I mean, I don't, Paul and Silas in the prison, that's a messy situation. I don't, what's gonna even happen with that? There's a, there's a lot of things day to day, week to week, hour by hour that are just, um, feel like a mess sometimes. And God's saying, I'm leveling this all out. I'm actually making this simple for everyone. And he goes on to kind of tell us that in verse eight, in the path of your judgments, in the path of your, in the path of what God has determined, the considered decisions that God has made, like our rescue has happened, like we have been rescued. 
In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of my soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. Like I, I, I crave your presence because Lord, that just makes everything level. Your judgments, the reality that no matter what I failed at this week, no matter what I haven't accomplished in my life, no matter what frustrating thing I have to deal with again, Lord, help me trust what you have said that rescue has happened. That's already been accomplished. I can't mess up what Jesus has done and where he's seated and what that means for me. If I'm united to him, all of my worth, all of my value, all of anything I would ever need to do is rooted in what Jesus has done. And when we trust his judgments, we understand what he's saying, we're drawn to the God who loves us and cares for us and whose presence is our comfort and who brings us joy and who enables Paul and Silas to sing beat up in a prison, um, who, who can give us perfect peace when our hearts and our minds are fixed on him. That's why he says, my soul yearns for you in the night. Yearns for you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. When when I listen to your judgments, Lord, when I consider the, the factual reality things you have said about me, I learn about who you are and I'm drawn to you and I'm comforted by you and I can have joy. And he gives us a contrast in the next couple of verses. He says, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and he does not see the majesty of the Lord. The wicked does not see the majesty of the Lord. Doesn't see the beauty of the God that we worship. Doesn't accept the judgments that God has made, the considered decisions that God has made about reality. Verse 11, he says, oh Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. They do not see it. And he pleads with God, says, let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the the fire of your adversaries consume them. He's, He's asking the Lord, he's saying, if they only knew who you were, if they could only see your majesty, if they could only accept your judgments and the, and the love that you have for your people. If they only see that, that they can experience the joy of trusting in the eternal judgment that rescue has already happened. And, and when we spent, you know, so many weeks kind of going on all the different ways that we, we, we put our hope in different things with Egypt and Moab and Assyria and all these other countries that we kind of looked at like everything not to do. Uh, And here is Isaiah, he's saying, let them see that you're working, Lord. Let them see your majesty. Let them trust your eternal judgments so that they can rest in you. He goes on to remind us of this past tense reality, the fact that God has already accomplished our rescue. Look at verse 12, he says, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. Why? Because you have indeed done for us all our works. You have indeed done for us all our works. And this is why as a church, we value the beauty of the gospel. 
it's good news that God has accomplished all the things for us. Because we will, we will fumble over it. Here, here is Isaiah proclaiming the gospel, reminding his people that you have indeed done for us all our works. Do we believe that? Do we believe the good news, the forever judgment that is not going to change, that God has accomplished everything for you, that rescue has already happened? He goes on, verse 13, 14 says, O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live. They are shades, they will not arise. To that end, you had visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But Lord, again, past tense, he says, you have increased the nation. Oh Lord, you have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have enlarged the borders of the land. And this is, this is a picture we're talking about in that day. This, I get in a little code word for Isaiah. He's talking in that day when redemption is finally accomplished. And, and, and I think we, we think about the land or we think about this, but, but God has actually spread Jerusalem farther than Isaiah could ever imagine. And we've kind of gone back to us a handful of, of times, but we're not talking about uh, the nation on the other side of the ocean um, being more in charge of other nations. We're talking about Jerusalem is a picture of the people of God imaging God and being in the presence of God. That's where the temple was. That's where they were meant to look like him. That's where they enjoyed his presence. That's Jerusalem. That the na- that's the only nation in, in history where God himself dwelled. And now he dwells in us. Now you can come here in the weird corner of downtown Denver, gather as a people with not a whole lot of significance in and of ourselves and worship the creator of the universe. You couldn't do that anywhere before. There was like one spot on the map you had to go to. And it was cool. And God was present there. But he, he says, you have increased the nation. In that day, you have increased the nation. You are glorified. More people everywhere now worship you. You have enlarged the borders of the land. And he switches Interesting that he's in verse 16 and following, he says, O Lord, in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. And it's weird, he's talking, it feels like he's talking about God's people uh, in the third person. So you'd almost expect him to say us. But it's this, it's this on that day sort of prophetic picture that he's talking about. He says, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we, now he's talking about us, so were we because of you, O Lord. When we were pregnant, we, we writhed, but we have given birth to the wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. This is in contrast to God has accomplished everything for us. He's saying, we, how much, you know, we have a bunch of little kids. Uh, how much work was it to give birth? A lot of work for some. (laughs) And he's saying, we went through all of this work. We did all of these things. We tried to accomplish everything we could possibly accomplish. And at the end of the day, nothing. 
At the end of the day, nothing. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. Because he's reminding us, he's trying, to, he's trying to root us in the good news and this forever judgment that God has already rescued us, that our rescue has already been accomplished. And he compares sort of our, our efforts that really give birth to nothing in verse 19 to what God says. He says, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. What a contrast. Like we, we writhe like giving birth to life and it comes to nothing. And he's like, how effective is the Lord? Your dead shall live. He's capable of raising the dead. You who dwell in the dust, awake, sing for joy. Sing for joy. This is, this is God is saying, this is how capable I am to accomplish rescue. The very act of giving birth that you're called to do to bring forth life, you can't, you can't, that's a picture that you don't accomplish anything there. And yet the dead will raise. That's how effective I am. That's how I'm able to accomplish redemption <laughs> and sing for joy. There's a lot of songs in here. This is, this, these songs are the, the fruit of what Paul and Silas were in prison when, when we're rooted in and we're trusting in and we're believing in the, the forever judgments of God that our rescue has already happened, that, that God is able to, to, to raise the dead. That's how effective he is at, at accomplishing his purposes, that we can sing for joy. And I like what he says in verse 20. It's meant to be affectionate. It's like he's looking at his people who, who didn't accomplish anything, that he accomplished everything for him. And he says, come, my people. Come, my people. Enter your chambers. Shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. And Ben talked about this a little bit last week is that things crumble, things are broken in the world because, because they're cursed, they're, 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 they're under God's wrath. And he says, for behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. It's like this picture of like everything that people are getting, think they're getting away with, all the wickedness in our hearts and in the world around us, it's gonna be exposed. It's gonna come out. No one is gonna escape that. But he says, come my people, enter your chambers. He's affectionate. Hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture of God's affection for his people. He's just trying to, to drill home for us the fact that the, the reality that our rescue has already happened. The joy can come from rooting ourselves in the truth that God has said that our rescue has already happened. And so, the, so he goes on in the next part. That's, that's sort of our eternal judgment number one. If, if we root ourselves in the truth that our rescue has already happened, that will not fade. That, that, that's something you can bank on for forever. And the next thing that he's, he's gonna kind of work through for us is to say that our, our suffering has purpose. Our suffering has purpose. Amen. And I feel like that's a more difficult uh, eternal judgment uh, God's, God's, in God's considered decision, he's saying, my people, you're suffering. I know you are, but I have a purpose in this. I, I promise you can, take, you can take this one to the bank for forever. 
Your suffering always has purpose. And it's interesting how this is introduced. In chapter 27, verse 1, he says, in that day, it's a code word again for when, when restoration begins with Christ. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the, the twisting serpent, and he'll slay the dragon that's in the sea. It kind of seems like it doesn't fit that well in what we're about to sing about a pleasant vineyard, but he stops and tells us about a dragon, a sea dragon, and a giant leviathan of, of something, of this, this slithering animal of some sort. And it's, it's fascinating how, how these two, uh, the two, a land and a sea giant animal come up a handful of times in Scripture. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because when they come up, they come up in, in those two pairs. So in Job chapter 40 and Job 41, we get like behemoth and leviathan. We get a land and a sea creature, like this giant, well, it says that behemoth's uh, tail is like a tree trunk. And it's like this giant animal. And then it comes up again here in Isaiah. And then the next time that two beasts show up is in Revelation. A beast that comes out of the sea and a beast that comes out of the ground, which makes less sense, but it's an image. So we have this picture of these two beasts, and we get, to, we get a little under, better understanding of that in Revelation. These are, the, these are sort of the, the powers behind uh, the evil king of Babylon. These are sort of the, the, the way that the prince of the power of the air uh, rules and reigns on this earth through, through sort of economic factors and also sort of uh, governmental kinds of things. There's this there's, it's not like a, a one-to-one, but the, the idea is these two giant beasts that are enemies of God's people. Babylon. Yeah, exactly. Babylon, and we get images that, in Revelation that connect some of these dots for us across Scripture. But he's saying on that day, the two beasts that are enemies of God's people, on that day, the Lord with his, with his hard and great and strong sword will punish them. And it's hard for me not to think of the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth the word of God, the, the enemies of God will be, will be punished on that day and they're gonna fight amongst each other. And it's interesting in Revelation, they sort of destroy each other. And God's saying, as I sit on the throne, because now Jesus has resurrected on that day, I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna allow the world to operate a certain way because that's how I pour out my wrath. That's how I rule and reign until every enemy is my footstool. So no matter what is going on in the world, God is saying, I am punishing Leviathan and I am punishing the dragon of the sea. And it's a little chaotic. We suffer because of that. Like in the world, you and I suffer because right now Jesus is ruling and reigning and making every enemy his footstool. And while that's going on, this sort of helps us understand what he's saying in the next verse. So we get the the punishment of 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 the beast. He says, in that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. Another song. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. And, and I, Ben talked about a, a vineyard in chapter five uh, last year. Uh, it wasn't a pleasant vineyard. It was a worthless vineyard. It produced bad fruit and God wiped it out. And now he's saying, in that day when salvation comes through Jesus Christ, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. 
I, the Lord, am its keeper. Just like in chapter five, every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Like if I had enemies, I would deal with them. This is my pleasant vineyard that I'm working. And it's a little, little kind of interesting turn in verse five. He says, or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. God's saying, I, just like he says to his people, he says, come my people, enter your chambers. He, he's, he's sharing his judgments across the whole world and saying, your, your suffering does have purpose. Make, make peace with me. Believe that I have accomplished rescue for you already. Enter into my garden where, where, I, where I care for it, where I water it, where I, where I fight for it. And look at the results of this garden in chapter six, or sorry, verse six. He says, in days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruits. We're gonna learn as we go through Isaiah that it's the spirit being poured out on the land that produces all this fruit. The garden that wasn't producing fruit is now replaced with a garden that produces fruit. That fruit is joy. That fruit is love. That fruit is patience. That fruit is kindness. That fruit is a community that doesn't count wrongs against others who have wronged them. That fruit is people everywhere that image Jesus to the world as he's tending this garden. And you say, well, what does that have to do with our suffering? How do we produce fruit? Through our trials. Through our difficulties. Through the hard and broken things in the world. As God is making every enemy his footstool and we're feeling the effects of that. But he tells us in verse seven, because he has no wrath. He has no wrath for his garden. Verse seven, he says, has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Yeah, things are broken in the world and God is pouring out wrath. But is that the same way that he, he strikes us? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure by exile, you contended with them. He, he, he exiled his people. But is that the same way he treated Canaan, when they came in and destroyed every man, woman, child, beast, etc., when they came into the, the promised land. He, he's using the suffering to purify his people. There, there is a purpose in your suffering. This is what we can, we can stand firm on that statement. He says, he removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. So he's, he's bringing this suffering. He's, he has struck us, thy rod and thy staff, comfort us, even though those are used to strike the animals and to get them in the right place. We have been struck. We do suffer. But he says, therefore, by this, the suffering, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And I think that's not, 
most Hebrew scholars say it's not the best English interpretation of that. It's the guilt of Jacob will be purged. Like, like, a, like in the same sense in, in the chapter one where he's saying there's a refining fire that I will use to produce gold and silver out of, out of my wicked city that he, he brings that up in chapter one. So it's by this pruning, by this, the fact that we are struck by the things that are going on in the world. It's by our suffering, there's a purpose. He's saying, I will purge this from Jacob. I will purge this from my people. And look, here we have more fruit. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sins. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no ashram or incense altars will be, remain standing. He's saying, when I, when I bring suffering on my people and they produce fruit all over the world, they're no longer gonna cling to false gods. They're no longer gonna put their hope in things that are fading. They're no longer gonna find joy in stuff that's going to crumble and disappoint them. When I bring suffering and I produce fruit in my people, they're gonna believe the forever judgment that rescue has already happened. They're gonna believe the forever judgment that God has stated that will be true for forever, that he works in our suffering. And he gives us a, a little bit of a contrast for people that do not believe these forever judgments. Uh, he gives a, another city image comes up a lot. We could say this is Babylon, but he's just talking about this, this prideful city. He says, for the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness there the calf grazes. It's come to nothing. There it lies down and strips its branches where where its bows are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a, a fire out of them. And he says, why? Because this is a people without discernment. This is a people without discernment. This is a group that ignores the forever judgments of God. This is, this is a group that thinks they can discern reality while the whole time God is saying, look, I've accomplished rescue. I've done everything for you. I promise you, I'm working in your suffering to produce fruit for you. And these people that ignore what God has said, that have no discernment, he says, therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. And it, that's hard. That's difficult. God is proclaiming himself to the world and saying, I've created everything. I've spoken to you. I've demonstrated myself in my son. I've shown you how I work through suffering to bring glorious and beautiful fruit of joy and peace and singing in a prison. And if you're gonna ignore my eternal judgments, if you're gonna ignore what I have said as God and you have no discernment, And you'll come to nothing. But he says, let them make peace with me. That's still there. Let them make peace with me. Realize that I've accomplished rescue for you. Come into your chambers. Be a part of my people. Let me prune you like my garden so that I can make you look like the image of my beautiful son. Make peace with me. He's still pleading with them. The last 
forever judgment that can bring us joy. The last forever judgment that we can, we can root ourselves in so that we can enjoy the, the presence of our Father, so that we can have joy even in suffering, is that full salvation will come. Full salvation will come. This, the, suffering in this world, even if God uses it, is not our destiny. Rescue is certain. We believe it by faith, but we don't see it yet. We don't see it with our eyes. And he's saying full salvation will come. In the last two verses, he says, in that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain and will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that great day, a great trumpet will be blown and, and those who are lost in the land of Assyria and those who are driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. And I love this image in, in verse 12. We'll thresh out the grain and you will be gleaned one by one. Like I think about like when you beat the grain and all the stuff kind of like falls on the ground, like one by one. One by one, he will ensure that full salvation will come to his people. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at in John 6. And it's a, we'll end with this verse. It's an encouraging passage. As I think about, especially as a pastor, as I think about kind of just everything that goes on in the world, ways that, you all suffer the, uh, the lack that we even have as an elder team. I, I, I really enjoy what, what Jesus is saying here because he's, he's reassuring us. He's reassuring us that, yes, I've accomplished everything for you and I have more to come. And, and one by one, I'm going to ensure that nothing is lost at all. No one, Nothing everything that the Father has given me. Look at verse 37 in John 6. He says, all the Father gives me will come to me. All, comprehensive. Everyone that the Father has given Christ will come to him. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He says, make, him, make peace with me. Just like Isaiah is saying. Why? Because I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And I love how he just explains it right after that. And in case you weren't following, he goes, and this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. One by one, I'll pick up the grain off the floor if I have to. But we'll raise it up on the last day. This This is an eternal judgment that you and I can have confidence in that could bring us joy. Full salvation will come. Jesus is promising us that from his very own mouth. He says, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. This is, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is, the, this is the non-fading thing that we can root our joy in. Eternal, never-fading statements from God. Rescue has happened. Our suffering has a purpose. 
full salvation will come. And I think when, we, we, when we're rocked by difficulties in the world, when we're, when we're struggling with ourselves, which is the hardest thing sometimes, how do we remember these eternal judgments? How do we root our thinking and our prayers and our worship in a way that just goes back to this and says, this is reality. This is what's true. This is what doesn't change. And I, I think a big part of that is, is why there's so much singing in, in Isaiah. Is we, this morning, we worship, we sing out loud, we remind ourselves of what God is doing. We go before him in prayer. We, we encourage each other in, in our community. We, we spend time learning about what he's doing and, and weighing ourselves on his judgments so that we can stop making foolish judgments about everything around us. And this is what this draws us in to worship God. And, I, and as we consider those things, we can say with Isaiah, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desires of my soul. Now, thanks be to God for such an unspeakable gift, a God that would even share his judgments with us so that we could know him and be in his presence. Let's pray and thank him for that. Father, you are so gentle with us. You're so patient with us. You've accomplished so many things for us. You've accomplished everything for us. Help us believe that. Help us remember that. Help us be encouraged by that. Lord, give us, give us joy as we look forward to full salvation. Give us perfect peace as our minds are fixed on you because we know that you're working even in our most difficult suffering. And when we don't think those things, Lord, help us repent and turn and trust your judgments. And thank you for the opportunity just to consider what you've said even this morning and, and to praise you and to worship you. And, and I pray this, is some, this would imprint on our mind and, and your Holy Spirit would bring these things up throughout our week. In your name I pray, amen.